Welcome to Technovation, a weekly conversation with people who are shaping the technology landscape. I'm Peter High, president of MetaStrategy, advisor to technology executives, Forbes columnist, book author, and your host. Each episode of Technovation features insights from top executives and thought leaders at the intersection of business, technology, and innovation. If you like what you hear, we'd be grateful if you give us a rating on iTunes or through whatever other source you use for podcasts. And please subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Thank you. My guest today is Shankar Arumugavelu. Shankar is a Senior Vice President and Global Chief Information Officer of Verizon, a leading telecommunications conglomerate with revenues exceeding $130 billion annually. In this role, Shankar is responsible for the company's information technology strategy, architecture, development, and management of the information systems portfolio, continued evolution of digital platforms, and operation of all supporting infrastructure. He's been with Verizon for nearly 25 years, originally joining the firm when it was known as GTE. In this interview, we discuss Shankar's role as the global CIO and the five questions embedded in the company's IT strategy, as well as the company's approach to change management. We also discuss the company's response to the current pandemic, including how the company quickly retrained 20,000 sales associates once the pandemic hit, how the company transitioned to a remote workforce, and the framework the company developed to guide it through the pandemic. Finally, we discussed Shankar's front row seat in Verizon's technological evolution over the past quarter century, the three prongs of the company's 5G strategy, how the company uses artificial intelligence, and a variety of other topics. Before we get to our interview, I wanted to introduce you to our sponsor, Zoho, and the company's president, Timothy Casby. Prior to taking on his current role, he was the chief information officer of a number of companies, including Reliance Industries, Sears, Intrexon, and the Warehouse Group. He's now at Zoho, a most unusual enterprise software company, and wanted to share some perspectives from it. Timothy, take it away. Zoho Finance Plus is a unified finance platform. Here, we have bundled seven different apps to align finance processes of most enterprises, starting with invoicing, books, inventory, subscription, expense management, payroll, and checkout, to collect all your payments with out-of-the-box integration with Stripe, PayPal, Worldplay, and many others. Zoho Books provides end-to-end accounting, right from negotiating deals to raising orders to invoicing. It handles all the mundane tasks so you can focus on your business. Invoice your customers for one-time or subscription-based payment plans. Help your employees do their expense management with single touch from mobile device. With multi-currency, multi-bank, multi-country support. Learn more at zoho.com slash finance. Thanks, Timothy. And now on to the interview. Shankar Arumugavelu, it's great to speak with you today. Thank you so much for taking time with me. Thanks for having me, Peter. Glad to be here with you. Wonderful. Uh, well, I thought we'd begin, uh, Shankar, with your your current role. You're the Global Chief Information Officer at Verizon. And uh, as the CIO role uh, gets translated a little bit differently, uh, organization by organization, I thought we'd begin with your purview. Can you give us a brief overview of that? Sure. Um, so I have the privilege in uh, Verizon, um, as you mentioned, uh, the, the global CIO for Verizon. What falls under my remit is the um, operation support systems to plan, build, run our wireline and wireless communications networks, the systems that are used by our frontline employees in our uh, retail stores, call centers, uh, tools that are used by our field technicians uh, to serve our customers, uh, digital tools that are used by our end customers, the digital workplace tools that our employees use on a, a daily basis, uh, the corporate systems, the HR, finance, sourcing, uh, supply chain systems, 
Uh, I'm also responsible for the uh, operations of all the supporting infrastructure and um, cyber risk compliance as well. Excellent. And talk a bit about, uh, if you would, some of the areas of emphasis of your team. Can you can offer some, some uh, feedback on your current strategy? Absolutely. Um, our strategy, like, you know, when we, uh, when we formed this consolidated organization in Verizon uh, late 2017, we set out, we built a strategy based on the playing to win framework uh, that Roger Martin had uh, devised. And, and that strategy basically talks about answering five questions, right? So first, it's all about what is the winning aspiration um, and where will we focus? How will we win? Uh, what capabilities uh, do we need to have? And also what measurement systems we'll have in place. So when we started off, we said the winning aspiration, let's make sure our strategy is grounded on caring for our four stakeholders, customers, employees, shareholders, and society. So within our technology organization, uh, we talk about our winning aspiration, four things that we do, right? Deliver solutions that our customers and employees love, and the emphasis there being love, right? So it's not that just that they put up with the technology solutions we deliver. That is the operative word, love. How do we be the destination for top technology talent? When we talk technology, it's all about talent. How do we make sure we are the destination for the top technology talent? How do we make the technology organization the investment and innovation center as well, as opposed to the, the cost center? How do we truly make it an investment and innovation center? And last but certainly not the least, how can we make a difference in the communities that we serve? How can we diversify the technology organization and have a, a world-class talent? Then we set out to say, okay, where are we going to focus on? Broadly, business priorities that drive our uh, profitable revenue growth and deliver unparalleled customer experiences. And the second is all around digital transformation, wholesale reinvention of every aspect of our business. So then we said, okay, if now we know where we are going to focus on, how do we win? How will we win in this space? It's all about optimizing for efficiency, speed, innovation. And again, as I mentioned, like, you know, when, when we talk technology, it's about talent. How do we make sure that we have an engaged and empowered and future ready workforce? How do we foster an environment of continuous learning for our uh, employees and also obsess about the customer and uh, employee experience in uh, everything that we do? We said, okay, what capabilities do we need to have now? Now that we know where we want to focus and how will we win, what are the capabilities we'll have to uh, have in our organization? We need to make sure that we have deep technology and business expertise as well. We also have to emphasize on modernizing our systems landscape, moving away from monolithic systems to more modular uh, API-enabled uh, applications and architecture. And also, how do we accelerate the time to value using agile, DevSecOps, and cloud? And how do we also industrialize advanced technologies like artificial intelligence, like machine learning, and ultimately also have a culture of experimentation? How do we test and learn and accelerate time to value, get things out there, try things out, learn from that, iterate, and make sure that we are delivering solutions that both improve the operational efficiency 
and deliver great customer experience. Okay, if we do all this, how are we gonna measure ourselves, right? What is the measure of uh, success for us? So we came up with a few metrics. One is around voice of the customer, the end customer who uses our services, voice of the employee. At the end of the day, a lot of the solutions, technology solutions, uh, our organization provides is consumed by the entire 135,000 workforce in Verizon. How do we get the feedback from them? What is the voice of our business partners? Are we truly evolving from being a delivery-focused service provider to being a part partner to the business? Are we meeting the unarticulated needs of the business? And finally, also around the return on the investment, return on the technology investment that we are making, how do we shift that from just being cost-centric, always focused on reducing that 5%, if you will, instead being impact-centric? How do we transform the 95%, the rest of the business? So that's how we really uh, focused, and that's how we built out the strategy. And once we have the strategy, again, it all comes down to execution, culture, and also making sure we had the right structure in place. I'm a big believer in Conway's law. If you, if you look at what Conway's law says, when you look at a product or a system and ask the question why it's designed the way it is, the answer is straightforward. Just show me the org chart. I can tell you why it was designed that way. So we said, let's adopt the inverse Conway's law to make sure that we have a good blueprint of an architecture and then stand up an organization that can bring that architecture to life. So now you have the right communication structure. You are now fostering an environment where everybody collaborates with intent to ultimately uh, make the right impact for the business. So that's how, that's how we framed the strategy. And uh, you know, a couple of years now in the works, uh, making some good, good progress and momentum building up. That's a great overview, Shankar. Thank you so much. It, it, it calls to mind a great deal of change. And I like the logic of the change. You talked about the people and organizational impact. You talked about the process and, and technology modernization in order to build a better foundation upon which you can drive the innovation that you described. Um, it, but it is a lot of change for a massive organization, 135,000 strong, as you point out. Talk a little bit about how you think about change management in light of that. Uh, you know, it's not human nature to want to change. We get comfortable in our ways. We, we uh, you know, uh, we, we find some comfort in knowing the, the things that we know and, and repeating, uh, you know, tasks the way that we did it yesterday. Um, as you've thought about the rather significant change that this has entailed, you know, how have you brought that to life? Absolutely. Um, it always starts with the why. Peter, right? So we explain why are we doing this? And that's where the winning aspiration that I talked about comes in absolutely critical, right? It's an extremely competitive environment. The landscape around us, the customer expectations are ever-changing. The pace at which technology change is changing as well is huge. So once we make sure that we are clearly articulating the why, and again, communication plays a big part in this, Communicate, communicate, communicate. The why behind you know, what we are doing here. And then we talk about, okay, what are the areas that we are going to focus on? How we are going to do this? And make sure that we are always going back to the metrics on, are we making the right progress? Because we all know we cannot uh, improve what we cannot measure. So that is the, that is the uh, philosophy that we have really adopted. Uh, you know, it's all about over-communication 
making sure that we are bringing the entire organization along. Uh, I'm again a big believer in the only way we scale excellence is just having, not just having a small team moving a thousand feet forward, right? The entire organization just moving in synchrony, even one foot forward, that is how we scale the operational excellence. So that's the, that's the process that we have adopted and uh, continuing with clearly more work to do, but we are starting to see some uh, green shoots. That's great. And I want to talk about the current, uh, the current crisis, the pandemic and the economic consequences of it. Um, you know, yours is uh, you know, certainly become in many ways a, an even more essential uh, set of services. And, and yet, of course, it's also a, a trying time. Uh, we're, we're each taking this, uh, these conversations from our homes, as I'm sure most of your uh, team is probably doing the same as they're working through today. Um, talk a bit about how IT has fostered resilience within the company. And I'd also love to you know, get your perspectives maybe after that as to how the company is fostering resilience, more generally speaking, in society. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We'll be glad to. Um, so, um, as we know, this... This is a, a, an unprecedented crisis, right? So we never expected anything of this kind. Typically, like every organization, I'm sure, has a business continuity plan, a disaster recovery plan, and we, we do as well. But those plans typically are tailored for much smaller scale incidents. That is one particular region or maybe one data center or things like that. Here we're talking just the global nature of this pandemic was a big, big uh, uh, um, challenge for, for us. And um, I think like, you know, we had to, we never had a playbook to deal with this uh, crisis. So we pretty much had to devise the playbook as we went, right? So if we rewind the clock and uh, we do have operations throughout the globe. So we did have some early signs of what was happening across the globe. Uh, from parts of East Asia, what we were seeing there, what actions we had to take, but very quickly it started spreading. Uh, and and uh, our major concentration of uh, employees is, is in the US. So March 13th, when the order was out, the shelter in place order was out, uh, we very quickly had to pivot over that weekend. We're talking 115,000 of our employees off a base of 135,000 to be able to work from home. And, uh, um, and the thing, if I were to really look at our workforce, broadly, I will categorize them into two areas, right? One is, think of them as the staff, the knowledge workers, who, for the most part, had the capability to work from home even prior to this crisis. So they had some exposure to this before. Vast majority of our frontline employees, however, never had this, this capability to work from home. So I would break down even the frontline employees broadly into three categories, right? So you had our uh, retail uh, workforce, retail stores, like, you know, our sales associates. We have our call center agents, and then we have our field technicians. So if you look at our retail stores, they did not have the ability to work from home prior to this. So now once the pandemic hit, at the peak of the pandemic, we had only 30% of our stores open. So 70% of our stores had to be closed. So then we said, okay, if for, those, for the, the sales associates who were working in those stores, they really can't do the same function they would be doing in the retail store from the home because that's a face-to-face -face physical interaction that they used to do prior to the crisis. So we very quickly had to take about 20,000 of our associates 
sales associates, reskill them through the platform that we had rolled out. We call it Learning Portal uh, 2.0 inside of Verizon. So that learning platform, so they were reskilled and now we were able to deploy them in other parts, whether it be in chat centers, whether it be in call centers, telesales, et cetera, so that very quickly we were able to get them reskilled and have them take care of our customer needs in these other channels. Um, and then when it came to our call center folks, prior to the crisis, we had about 20%, I would say, who were working from home. So we were working and uh, on this technology a few years back even. So 20% of our agents were really home-based agents. So now over the weekend, we virtually had to move the entire 100% to work from home, right? So, and then our technicians had to make sure our customers, as you mentioned, if anything, connectivity has now found its way in the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? So, so now this is the thing that's really when everybody has to maintain the physical distancing, et cetera, connectivity is the one that's gluing and connecting folks with their friends and family, and giving them some semblance of uh, a normal, if you will. Uh, so we had to make sure that customer troubles were all attended and we took care of the services that customers were looking for. And at the same time, making sure our uh, employees' uh, security, safety, and our uh, customers' like, you know, health, safety, and security was also cared for. So that's uh, and, and what helped us from a technology standpoint to really make this happen is a few things I would say. One is how do we make sure like you know, we had a very scalable network that was enabled by automation that helped us very quickly pivot to this uh, uh, crisis, whether it be uh, you know VPN uh, configurations that had to be increased on the fly, whether it had to be uh, increasing the bandwidth of the ISP circuits that are coming into our uh, data centers, uh, the multi-factor authentication capabilities to make sure that we were bolstering our security and uh, we follow a zero trust security model to make sure that now that everybody is going to be working from home, how do we make sure we, we are uh, ramping up our uh, security posture as well? Um, so, so a lot of things there, cloud played a big part. Our reliance on uh, cloud-based collaboration technologies helped us augment the capacity uh, very quickly, and, and also the elasticity of our virtual infrastructure. All our applications in the call centers were already virtualized, so that helped us very quickly ramp up. So whether it be custom or, or agents who are using the home-based agent kits or those who are using, uh, pretty much had to take the equipment from the uh, call center to their home and work from there using the VPN, some cases, we also had to have uh, personal machines connecting over to our uh, virtual desktop infrastructure and then accessing the applications that way in a secure manner. All different solutions that we had to pull uh, to make this thing uh, work. And, and like I said, cloud was a big, big part of this. The resiliency of our end user support teams, you can imagine, you know, because several folks, this was the first time for them dealing with this configuration. How do you help them navigate through this problem and make sure that they are up and productive very quickly? Um, all of those things uh, came and uh, came to bear here, and um, I couldn't be prouder of our technology team coming up with solutions. Every problem they encountered, they figured out the solution. And you know, and I, 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 I tell this to my team as well. You know, we all have business resiliency plans. 
at the end of the day, what stood out is the human resilience that really made the difference here. The adaptability of the organization to deal with this unprecedented crisis and never give up. Always try to figure out like, you know, how do we find solutions to these seemingly insurmountable uh, problems, if you will, was the, was the big uh, differentiator for us. So having said that, from a technology standpoint, Peter, I also say from a company-wide, this is, so if you now zoom out beyond technology, everybody, this is, uh, for everyone, this is new, right? Every organization, whether you were in marketing, finance, operations, technology, network engineering, wherever you were, everybody had to deal with this. The framework that really helped us as a company navigate through this crisis is making sure that we had our four stakeholders in mind and everything we did. And in the following order as well, first and foremost priority was employee health, safety, security. That was non-negotiable. Then we said, how do we make sure that our customers who depend on us now more than ever, how do we make sure we don't let them down? Third, it came the, uh, you know, the society. Like, what are we doing? Making sure that we know at the macro level with all the challenges, the entire society is, is impacted as well. How can we show up as Verizon to take care of the communities where we serve? And then fourth was the shareholders, right? And we, every action we took was in this sequence. And we always vetted any decision we made on, is this falling in this framework? And that framework by, by large, like that was the one that helped us navigate through this uh, crisis, keeping our employees updated every single day. That is an all hands call that we, we call it internally up to speed for 30 minutes that we have the entire company uh, is on with our CEO, our chief people officer, Every, and we talk about like, you know, the current status, what are we doing, again, for these four stakeholders in mind, right? So um, that, that really has uh, helped us in a big way. The things that we have been doing with uh, Paid Forward Live, uh, what we have been doing for specifically focused to help small businesses in the communities where we serve, what we have been doing for customers to waive all the different fees, the late fees, make sure we're not putting them through collections for non-payment, given the economical uh, challenges that they are dealing with in this uh, crisis, also giving our customers additional data. Um, so all of these things, uh, you know, and, and being very structured, very thoughtful. And now as we speak, we're also being very thoughtful of how do we make sure we give access to the company facilities to our employees, still maintaining social distancing and, and all the, you know, adhering to all the safety protocols as well. That's a high level of uh, how we've been navigating navigating through this crisis. I appreciate that overview, Shankar. Quite impressive. You know, there there are a lot of people who have the same job in many different companies. Uh, you've had many jobs in one company with a couple of different names. This is actually your third decade with Verizon, beginning actually when it wasn't even called that. You began in the GTE days. I can recall having my own GTE modem and plugging the phone line into it. Uh, we've advanced a little bit further than that, I think, Shankar. Um, and, you know, it strikes me, a company like yours especially, you have a front seat and occasionally a driver's seat in really important technology shifts uh, and changes that impact the world. And, and I wonder if you could reflect a bit on your, you know, 20 plus years now 
with the organization and the remarkable growth that you have seen, not only in the company, but also just in the technology landscape as a result of that? Absolutely. We'd be glad to. Um, yeah, for me now, it's uh, 23 years with the company, Peter. Um, and um, when I know after I graduated uh, with my uh, master's degree, I started the job. And in the short story, like, you know, when I joined GTE, uh, that was my first full-time job, right? So, and I saw my colleagues there, they, you know, we had a, 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 you know, a policy then where badges in the company badges, there were these gold stars that people had and, uh, and mine didn't have any. I was given a new badge, like, you know, welcome to GTE. And, uh, like, you know, but I saw several folks walking around with, you know, two stars, three stars, four stars, and some with even five. And mine had none. So I was, I was so curious. I said, wait a minute, what's, what's wrong with this? I like those stars. But then when I asked somebody, they said, oh, no, each star signified five years of service, right? And it just blew me away that someone could be in one company 20, 25 years. And remember, this is my first job. And again, I'm, I don't want to date myself, but this is like, you know, suffice it to say, it was like early 90s, dot-com boom time. My goal was my eyes were set on the West Coast. That's where I wanted to go. Said, okay, let me get some experience as well and ultimately like, you know, figure out what I wanted to do. But when I saw this and like, you know, and that I started questioning, okay, if if there is this very quickly I realized the company was very large, diverse set of technologies, and the opportunities that it presented for professional development was huge. And that's why I saw folks there with 20, 25 years of service. And now I reflect, very soon I'll be ending up with five, five stars myself. But I will tell you, never a dull moment in this, uh, in this journey. And as you pointed out, reminds me, when I started, like, you know, the broadband connectivity, or I should even say broadband, like, you know, the co only connectivity that we had was dial-up, right? Think about it. So I had the opportunity, again, when I talk about never having a dull moment with the company, one of the things that really uh, played a big part is I've had a front row seat in all the technological evolutions that we have had when it came to communications, all the way from dial-up, you know, it's just plain old telephone service, to then came ISDN. That was a big deal, like, you know, 128 kbps, woo, right? Then, like, you know, digital subscriber line DSL. Now we are talking like, you know, getting into the, uh, uh, you know, uh, megabits per second range. And then I had the opportunity to um, uh, lead the uh, FIOS to the, the fiber to the premise program, FTTP. Now it's the FIOS service. Uh, and this was back in 2003 when we, uh, when we uh, did this. This was a big uh, change when it came to the communications infrastructure, getting fiber all the way to the customer's premise. And when we initially launched it, it was like, you know, a few megabits per second. But now, like, you know, we are up to gigabits per second in this, right? And this shows, again, the insatiable need for speed. And, uh, you know, early days I learned, like, you know, the slowest speed you will accept is the fastest speed you have experienced, <laughs> right? So... Every step of the way, like, you know, you forget about the previous one. When DSL came out, like, you know, nobody was worried, you know, thinking about, and then, then came Fios, and now it's gigabit services. And then, I, you know, I had the opportunity also from a wireless front, 
have uh, uh, you know a play a part in the different evolution, the technology evolutions, 1G, 2G, 3G, 4G, and now very actively working on um, 5G. And, and 5G truly, while we have had significant improvements in the previous Gs, the previous generations of the wireless technology, 5G is uh, totally a game changer. And, uh, and like I said, this never a dull moment. I think this was a big part of this. The other thing I would say is all about taking risks. The company presented a lot of opportunities uh, and, and great uh, group of mentors and sponsors along the way without whom I would never be in this uh, position that I am today. And uh, a world-class team uh, that just works as one team, blinks in synchrony to get things done. And that's, that's what makes me uh, skip to work every day. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about, you talked about 5G and the tremendous advances there. Earlier, you talked about artificial intelligence and machine learning and this culture of experimentation that you're fostering, uh, the kind of innovation lab type environment uh, that, that the organization has put together. Talk a little bit about how you, uh, how you contemplate these rising trends, experiment with them, determine their ap applicability back to the company and your company's customers. How does give a kind of a, a thumbnail sketch of that, if you would, Shankar? Yeah. So, so clearly, with you know, five G, we have when it, when it comes to five G, there's a lot of work that we've been doing over the years. Uh, even before the standards were published, we came up with the early days of this. We called it five G TF, right? So this is a spec that we devised. The whole idea there was to keep moving the industry forward. Um, and a lot of learnings along the way, and that has helped us really formulate a three-pronged strategy when it comes to 5G. So we are focused on 5G fixed wireless access. This is 5G home, as we call it. Think of it as a replacement for home broadband services. Then we have 5G ultra-wideband. This is the mobility services that we offer. And then what we're working on is also the edge computing, the, 5G, the MEC, mobile edge compute as well. So there are three to our uh, 5G strategy. And as you pointed out, quite a lot, like and when it comes from a technology, again, with 5G, there's so many use cases that are possible. Unlike the previous generations where it was primarily a, a data and a throughput, you know, the speed game. In 5G, we talk about eight different currencies that it uh, provides all the way from, you know, having extremely low end-to-end -end latency. Now, and, and in addition to significantly higher, you're talking gigabits per second, multiple gigabits per second wirelessly, right? So the high bandwidth, very low latency, extremely high reliability, mobility, all of these things now presents the art of the possible, right? So, and in fact, I will say, I think we are still discovering more and more use cases as to what is possible with a technology like 5G coupled with mobile edge uh, compute as well. And in terms of few other technology areas where we see that shows a lot of promise, you, you also brought up the question on artificial intelligence and machine learning. Huge for us, right? So if you think about why you know, AI is you know, really taking off at this point, a few factors, right? Think about the cost of compute significantly going down. Availability of data, all time high, right? There's a lot of data that's that's that you know, and you know now that's trapped in these different systems that we'll have to unleash. The next thing is like you know these algorithms, these machine learning algorithms to build these models, 
that used to be just uh, you know hidden in these research papers before are now more openly available as well. Now you add on the whole auto ML capabilities as well. We are now able to democratize machine learning and artificial intelligence in a big way. So we have done a lot of experiments in this as to demonstrate the art of the possible with whether it be how do you use AI and ML to optimize certain operations? How do you use AI ML when it comes to providing that hyper-personalized customer experience? Getting all the different data points, whether it be from our network, whether it be from our device, whether it be from the different customer touch points, convert that data to an insight and then be able to um, act on that insight. So all of that uh, put together, um, you know, has we've been able to demonstrate what is possible. And then we also said, like, you know, let's think about virtual assistance as well to provide that consistent humanized experience as opposed to uh, the traditional IVRs, if you will, that customers are used to and having to navigate through these phone trees, et cetera. How do we have a virtual assistant that can deal with natural language, whether it be voice or text, and provide that very humanized experience as opposed to a very robotic uh, experience, what the early generation of chatbots, if you will, did. So we have a lot of experience there, and we, are, we have some big programs that we have launched to, uh, to uh, cover the, both the chat and the uh, uh, voice side with a dual persona of also being able to augment the productivity of the agents. So the first priority for these virtual assistants, think of it as how do they automate the entire conversation with the customer? In the event they fail, how do they now work with the agents and augment their productivity and efficiency to help the customer better? So, so that's something that we learned, and now we're going big on that front. And in, you know, when it comes to the other business optimization areas, et cetera, as well, we have learned enough now to the point where one of the big programs we have underway now is how do we go from this artisanal AI to industrial AI, right? How do we truly now leverage the scale and skill of the entire organization to be able to deliver these outcomes for the business and our customers? So... Shows a lot of promise, um, and uh, we have some good, uh, the early results are very promising, and we are continuing to double down and make the right uh, investments needed. Yeah. Well, Shankar, I really appreciate you taking time with me today. It's been a great conversation, learning a bit more about your experience across the, the company, the, uh, the resilience that uh, you fostered, you and your team have fostered within the company and, and across society, more generally speaking, uh, as well as some things about what's to come. I think it's really uh, interesting to get this this view from the perch that you sit on, a very significant one indeed. Thank you so much for a good conversation here. Thanks for having, uh, having me, uh, Peter. It was a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in. Please join me on Thursday when we will share a panel discussion from our recent MetaStrategy Digital Symposium focused on digital transformation in the new normal. The conversation will be moderated by MetaStrategy's own Vice President Alex Krauss and will feature insights from Fiserv Bank Solutions Chief Information Officer Keith Fulton and Subway Global Chief Information Officer Mike Macri.